0: Well, I want to talk to you this morning about excellence by grace, and uh, we'll warn you ahead of time. I'm sort of in a bit of a dad mode this morning, so if you are in a season of processing dad issues, father wounds, I, I really urge you listen to the first part of the message hard. You know, uh, don't just shut down right away. But uh, this is really something that's on my heart to share with us as a church. Um, excellence by grace. The pressure of perfectionism is opposite to the life of grace. Amen. That internal sense of always being not good enough, of needing to try harder, of not being pleasing to God, of not being uh, lovable enough. All of that is, is the message of hell that Jesus came to save us from. Amen. We are saved by grace. Amen. Perfectionism, that pressure, is opposite the life of grace. Yet, so is the attitude of half-hearted effort, sloppy work, and lukewarm commitment. Equal amen to that. Come on now. This is such a personal battle for me because I am, by nature, driven in an unhealthy way, by perfectionism. And to learn to reset my identity and my, my peace and my heart, the way I respond to other people on the grace of God, it's a lifelong, daily, hourly process for me, but also worth it, right? Because there's freedom in his grace. At the same time, my number one job right now as a leader is to raise up the next leaders for the next 30 years in this house and in this city. And I know that there is no leadership without a commitment to excellence. And so how can we get this message right? I think 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12 shows us how those who receive mercy, who have received grace, We respond. We don't try to earn that mercy and that grace, but we respond to the fact that we have received mercy and grace by showing our world the excellencies of our God. So perfectionism. They are a perfectionist. They're a perfectionist. It's usually not a compliment about your boss or a co-worker or a friend. When I hear it whispered about me, I know that that people aren't real happy with my style of leadership at that point. It sort of means that you're just hard to please, that you are impossible to make happy, right? You're a perfectionist is not usually a compliment, right? And when you admit, I'm a perfectionist, it's something that you normally confess like to your therapist or your pastor because you had to make an appointment because your mental health is breaking down under the internal pressure or your relationships are because you're not a very nice person to be around a lot because you're just hypercritical and always upset on the other hand to be the goat the greatest of all time is actually a word of respect to be known of excelling of achieving of being good at your craft I mean, did you watch LeBron last night at the age of 97 score over 50 points against people who are 19 years old? I mean, that, that, that's awesome, right? And to be known for excellence in our life leads us then to promotion, to increase influence, and also it causes us to have the ability to gather a team around God's purpose in our life. We, we, you want excellent people around you, right? I mean, do you really want to go to a back surgeon who your friend said, well, they're, they're okay. <laughs> How do we make our way forward to not be driven by perfectionism, but to accept the call to excellence that makes us leaders of influence and here's my honest concern so going full dad mode here okay in reacting to the pressure of perfectionism within our souls and honestly within the church for a lot of its history where guilt and shame was thought to motivate people to try to do better some believers now associate any hard work or sustained commitment as legalism or bondage? Oh, if it it means I got to work hard at it, well, that's just legalism. What do you mean you're asking for a six-month commitment? That's bondage. If it doesn't come easy, it ain't coming by grace. When the one who purchased your grace walked a long road carrying a cross, died for our sins at great personal pain, to open up the free way of salvation to us. And as I said, my number one priority in life and ministry right now is to raise up, to pour and to give away, into the next generation of leaders because our church has a greater destiny than we have known to date and our city has a greater purpose and well-being than we've achieved to this hour. We must have new leaders rise up, but we cannot provide the leadership our world desperately needs without being intentional to show the excellence of God in what we do. 1 Peter 2 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were, have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Then he goes on, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among those who don't believe, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they decry your faith, that they may still see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. At the core of this passage of scripture is a covenant of grace. And Peter here picks up the actual oath language of the Old Testament covenant, and he brings it into our lives in the new covenant. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How many of you have received the mercy of God and desperately needed it? So we are a people of the new covenant. He's made a brand new agreement through the death and resurrection of Jesus to give us freely by grace what we could never earn on our own. He's created a covenant of grace, and with that, he's given us new names. Peter says here, you are a chosen race. Do you know that? You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're not losers, you're not damaged goods, you're not caught in your shame, you're not, you're not uh, defined by your addiction, you're not b- broken by your history, but you are a people of God's own possession. This is who you are. And we wanna come into that identity of grace. Uh, Pastor Will, the last two uh, messages so powerfully uh, given to us out of the life of Jacob, Uh, Talked about giving it a new name. And this is what he said last week. So many times we step into this relationship with the Lord thinking that we carry the advantage. Thinking that, you know what, if I perform the way I need to, then God will respond the way that he should. And we think that our relationship is based upon what we do in order to get God to move. But God says, I already moved. And I sent my son. Amen. I did everything that I needed to to do so that you would have life, so that you would have freedom, so that you would be restored, so that you would have a fresh mindset, a new beginning. I poured out everything so that you could walk in abundance. Amen. And I believe this with all of my heart. And I want to continually live as a new covenant member, I want to live in the identity that God has declared upon our life as the garden church. You are a chosen race. You are now a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people of God's possession. But I also want us to complete reading the scripture because it says, and this was all done with a clear purpose that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That all of this has been given to us, but in us receiving it, it becomes then the springboard for a divine purpose in our life that we are to proclaim the excellencies of our God in what we do. The Greek word here uh, that uh, is translated excellencies is the Greek word arete, and it's used to refer to excellent character or deeds of one who is worthy of praise it's a highly prized work in the culture word in the culture of that time and excellence describes something that is unusually good like that wasn't just pad thai that was just unusually good pad thai yeah it is something done exceptionally well it's something that surpasses ordinary standards Our God is unusually good. Our God has done exceptionally well. And our God is much higher than any ordinary standards. And he calls you and me in the choice on how we live to show out his excellencies by being people committed to excellence in our lives. Not being people driven by perfectionism, but actually those who have received his grace becoming those who are committed to show out how excellent God is by co- being committed to excellence ourselves. There is an inner devotion that Peter moves right to, to say this is one way that you display the excellencies of God. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from, from the passions of the flesh. Don't be driven by the appetites that drive the rest of society, by the the things that push and, and, and beckon to our culture because these things wage war against your soul. It begins within. It begins with the character that we have. And character always shows. So when you walk into work on a regular basis, 20 minutes late, and you just say, I'm walking in the grace of God, those people around you, that's not what they see. They see a person of low character who is so selfish, they don't realize that they're part of a team and they've made everybody wait for 20 minutes on their own good time. Am I being too much of a dad? Because I've got more that could come. When we show forth the excellencies of God, it means that people who don't know God will look at us and say, well, I don't know where you get it from, but you're a person of character. I don't know why you do it, but you choose integrity when it's actually advantageous to to cut some corners. I don't don't know why you, you seem so different but it seems like you really value honesty in your life. I, I, what is it about you that, that makes you the person who offers to help other people in the workplace instead of shifting blame and saying, well, that was somebody else's job? If your character is not showing in your relationships, if your character is not showing in your neighborhood, your character is not showing in your workplace. You go around and get up on a soapbox and try to tell people during their lunchtime that you believe in Jesus. How much witness do you have? Because your character is not showing forth the excellencies of our God. And that's our desire, right? is to be people who influence the world to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter goes on and says, so it's not only the inner choices of our life, because they they do show, but it's also the commitment to be a witness, an external witness, an outer witness. And he concludes this uh, paragraph by saying, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. There are moments in which it is very important to say, I don't care what people think about me. I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm 100% for that, right? But there is also a counterfeit attitude that says, I simply don't care what people think about me. Because the Bible says, your reputation among those who don't believe the Lord is of critical importance to your witness. And make sure that what you're claiming to be an expression of freedom in Christ, of boldness in Christ, is not just you not liking rules and not liking to be part of a culture of of a hyper-independence. Because the Bible says, let your conduct, let how you act day in and day out, make you to be considered a person of honor by those who don't know the lord may your neighbors think that you're a person of honor may your extended family think that you're a person of honor because you know it's not a great compliment if they only think you're religious there's more spanking to come so i'm just warning you you know <laughs> Peter goes on and says so that when they speak against you as evildoers they don't understand your faith they think you're crazy that they may still see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation that your very actions your diligence your excellence uh, your sense of responsibility your sense of team that it itself will lead them, despite them thinking your faith is nuts, will lead them to connection to God and give him glory. And they may see your good deeds. And you might come back and say, well, Pastor David, good works has nothing to do with the Christian faith. And I will agree with you that good works have nothing to do with us coming to salvation. But I would argue back with you that good works has everything to do with how we live out the grace that we've received because we are designed to be people of impact in this world. Jesus himself said, so if you want to argue with him about the religion he started, take it up with the master. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light, not even God's light, let the light of your character, let the light of your actions shine before others so that they may see your good works. They may see the excellence of your life. And that will cause them to glorify your father who is in heaven. there is no leadership without a commitment to excellence. The rest of this society does not really care about our doctrine. The rest of the society really doesn't care about what we say. But this society can be transformed by us gaining credibility and influence in the hearts of women and men in our community so that there is a bridge by which to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You guys hearing me? I so believe in this generation that is coming up. You are going to run farther and do greater things. You're going to see... uh, thousands of souls saved. You're going to see a movement in our city that continues to transform it to the glory of God. I believe it is all possible, but this I know as someone who has made that same effort in my day, it will not happen unless we have leaders committed to excellence in their lives. And we need to get out of our minds the false theology that says any effort, any work, if it's too hard, if it takes too long, it's not part of the life of grace. And instead, say, because I've received the grace of God, I want to continue then to display his excellencies in all I do. In my relationships at home, may I try to be an as excellent a spouse or a parent or a grandparent as I can be in, in my social circle. When people read my Instagram or my Facebook. Do they see me praising God or do they see see me complaining about other people? How's my witness there in my social circle? In my workplace, am I considered to be a person of honor that therefore is promotable to have greater influence so that in my workplace I can bring greater good as I exercise the principles of Christ in all that I do? We've talked here about the seven mountains of influence over the past 15 years here how all of us are called to full-time ministry where we work and where we live. Amen? In the same way that Pastor Will and I on a Sunday morning, before we minister the Word, we're going to be engaging God's presence. We're asking for His grace. We're focused on His anointing. We're aligning our 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 souls up to the mission, that when you wake up on Monday morning and get ready to go to your place of business or you're ready to go teach in your classroom or you're ready to serve in that government office, that you wake up with the same sense of sacred duty that a pastor wakes up with on Sunday morning, that this is my call, this is my mission, this is my assignment, and Lord, give me the grace to be excellent at what I do and represent you well. And so it may be in the realm of the arts and media, and edu- it may be in the realm of business, it may be in the realm of the church, it may be in the realm of education, maybe in family, it may be in government, it may be in healthcare. Wherever God has called you to your full time ministry, we need leadership, and leadership is based upon a commitment to excellence in our life. We have a, a, a difficult story at the, in the early part of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain, the older brother, and Abel, the younger brother. It says In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the first fruits of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry and his face fell. That idea of his face falling in, in, in the Bible means that he disconnected his gaze from God. What happened here? Cain, who was a farmer, brought produce as an offering, and Abel, who was a shepherd, brought the firstborn of, of his uh, a lamb to God. And I used to think, Young, you know, my younger days. That you know, God just hates being a vegetarian, and he he, he's a protein loving God. He's the the keto on the most high God. You know, uh, he 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 liked Abel because Abel brought him something he could grill. But in looking more closely at the story, I think the key is really in this description about Abel's offering, that he uh, brought the firstborn of the flock, and specifically offered the fat of this uh, animal to the Lord. The firstborn of the flock is not only the prime of the litter, but it's also the symbol of all of the rest of the flock. And Abel brought the best. And this this is why, I mean, I could go into a, a long giving sermon right now, but this is why tithing is so important. It's because when we cut God the first part of our paycheck, we're saying, This is the first fruits. This is the choicest part of what you provided me, and it also is a symbol for all the rest. Amen? It doesn't give that description of Cain that he brought the best to the Lord. It says he just brought an offering to God. And God gives Cain the opportunity to change. He's trying to coach him up. And says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, you can change this still. Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is the crouching one, literally a demonic presence there waiting at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. That because Abel was angry at being corrected by the Lord, because, um, because Cain was angry at being corrected by the Lord because Cain did not bring his best to the Lord. That, that the enemy, a demonic presence, was, awaiting, was waiting to take advantage of that anger within him. And the result of that is tragic. It says that uh, Cain uh, enticed his brother Abel to come out to a field, Uh, And when they were there, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. I believe for better than us, right? But how many of you know that at times God speaks like a loving coach into our life, and he says that what you are doing right now, it's really not your best effort. What you are doing now really requires a commitment to harder work or greater concentration or more of a commitment. Can you hear me, church family? Is that what God desires to do is to coach us up, is to call us up into a commitment to excellence in our life so that we can have the influence our life is designed to among those that need to know Jesus. And how are you going to respond? Can I meddle real deep right now? You leave a church angry because when you asked to be part of the worship team, the worship pastor said, hey, why don't you go and practice for a while? Oh, that's legalism. You're rejecting my gift. You're quenching my spirit. I'm responding just like Cain. I'm angry. I'd like to murder all those other worship leaders at that church. when your boss tells you, hey, this area of your, your work needs to improve, and your response is, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you would operate by grace. You're in the spirit of Cain, of not receiving the coaching of God to call ourselves up to a level of excellence that allows us to be an influence to people around us. But I know better for us, right? We're having a different ending than ending in murder. <laughs> and in the story of God being worthy of our best, I love, love what was being said in, in worship. I think it was first service that, that thank you, God, we're able to give you a sacrifice of praise. It takes our time. It takes our effort. Sometimes we've got to align our emotions to a different place than we currently are. But, but you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of our best. See, in the offering of Abel, the, the bringing of a lamb, reminds us that when we offer God our best, it's still always based on the mercy of God. This is the second element of this story. The first it was in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve turned away from God, rebelled against them, and they were covered with shame, that God actually took a life of um, animals, and he clothed them with skin. Again, forecasting that it's going to be by the sacrifice of another that you come back into relationship with God. And that's exactly what Abel's sacrifice showed us, uh, is that it it is the, the death of another on our behalf. It's grace that allows us to come into this relationship with God. So even when we are committed to excellence, even that is based off of the grace of God operating in our life the apostle paul puts it this way and this is out of the passion translation yes i am the most insignificant of all the apostles unworthy even to be called an apostle because i hunted down believers and persecuted god's church but by god's amazing grace god's amazing grace has made me who i am today amen right But he goes on, and this grace to me was not fruitless. In fact, I worked harder than the rest. Because I received grace, not by works. And that grace found me when I was an enemy of God, I'm destined to an eternity to be judged by my own failures. Because I received that transforming grace, I am who I am. And because I've received that transforming grace, not by works, I try to work harder than anybody else to fulfill the mission of God in my life. This is what Paul. Concluded and this is what I urge us to do those who are called to be Transformative leaders in this church and in this community May we have a response to grace that is coming from a commitment That results in a commitment to excellence Don't let a commitment to excellence be a performance for God's acceptance. That's death. Amen But let your commitment to excellence Spring up from gratitude for God's grace. That's the Bible. It's so human that we find ourselves in places of apathy in certain areas of our life. Where we just sort of quietly conclude, well, I'll just do enough to get by. They won't ever really know. I'm just sort of tired of trying so hard. You know, I've learned in my own life that that apathy almost always comes from a lack of gratitude in my life. If I'm not grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation, and you say, well, you're a pastor, aren't you grateful all the time? Well, there are moments where I just sort of forget about it. If I'm not grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't really feel like serving him with excellence, right? If I'm not grateful for my family, I don't really feel all that enthused about going the extra mile to help them. If I'm not grateful for my church, then every invitation is instead an obligation and pressure upon my life. If you find yourself this morning saying, you know, Father, there are things in which I've gotten apathetic about. I'm not really committed anymore to making my best effort there. I urge you, instead of just trying to shame yourself and guilt yourself, just return to gratitude. And remember, Lord, thank you so much for what you've provided. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my church. Thank you for the life you've given me. And return me then, Lord, to being a good witness for you, the best witness I can be by being a person of honor among those who don't know you and being a person whose excellence gains them influence in the lives of those who need